0: I invite you now to turn with me to the book of Colossians, chapter 3, as we look briefly this evening at the first four verses of chapter 3, if you please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely without error. It is completely authoritative. And it is completely sufficient. Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Thus far the reading of God's Word. Let's pray for His blessing upon it. Dear Lord, we ask that You would help us to hear, to learn, and to be affected by Your Word. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. When I was a young man approaching the age of 16, I came upon an, an age-old ritual, preparing to drive a vehicle. And growing up in western New York, there were certain things that needed to be done before you were permitted to be behind the wheel of a vehicle or to get that coveted driver's license, that ticket to freedom from mom and dad driving you around. And just like perhaps some of you have experienced in other states, there is this vaunted two-step process. First, you must sit and take a written exam of 20 or 25 questions. And you have to get some certain percentage before they will even let you move on. Now, for those of you that know me, I'm the studious type. I've got degrees all over my walls. Studying is something that comes easy to me. And so it isn't that hard to sit down and look at some material and study and get a 100 on it and go on. But you see, the problem is you have to do more to be able to drive. They won't just let you take the test. They won't just let you explain how, in theory, you're supposed to drive. Sure, you can know when to put the blinker on and what the hand signals are and when you're supposed to brake and what the weather means, and you need to know all of those things in theory. But unless they can actually see that you can put them into practice, there's no way they're letting you behind a wheel. And so step two is the dreaded driver's test. And so I have to admit that on my first driver's test, I did not do as well as I did on the written exam. Now, I did pass, but I certainly did not get a 100. Because even though I know how you're supposed to stop, I did a a couple of rolling stops through some stop signs. I slowed down mostly. I learned after that, that what you really need to do is stop, put on the brakes, and count about five, so they know you've stopped, and then you move on. It's not quite like regular driving. But you see, there's a distinction here between the things we learn and the things we know, and applying those things. They need to go together. Unless you know the rules of the road, there's no way you're going to pass a test. Driving. But unless you are able to actually put to the test, the things that you have in your head, there's no way you'll pass driving also. And on some level, the Christian life is like that. And the Apostle Paul knows this deeply. And so here in the book of Colossians, he's going to begin to introduce to us that step, that stage from what we know to what we do. It's so typical of Paul. And so what I would like us to look at this evening is Paul's be opening discussion on Christian action, on what it is like to live the Christian life. And so I'd like us to see three things from Paul, two commands and one focus or reason for the commands. The first thing I'd like us to see is that we are to have hearts that long for above. Hearts that long for above. And the second thing I would like us to see is we need to have minds that think on what is above. And then the last thing would be, why does Paul tell us to have such a focus? Hearts and minds focused on what is above. Let's begin then by looking at hearts that long for above. Paul is starting here in verse 1 of chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. And so this is, as I've said, the typical Pauline pattern. In almost every one of his epistles, there is a division. It is not always equal in material, but there is a clear spot where you can see Paul is going from primarily teaching doctrine to primarily applying that doctrine. That's the difference here in Colossians 1 and 2, which are primarily an exposition about what the gospel is and who Jesus Christ is and what that means. In Colossians 3 and 4, which is the life that flows out of the gospel and the imperatives that are given to us because the gospel is true. In Romans, for example, that division isn't that equal. The first 11 chapters are doctrinal. And then 12 and following are application. But we see this throughout Paul. It is the way he teaches. And if we boil it down to its core... Every Pauline epistle reads something like this. You are who you are in Jesus Christ. Now be who you are. That's what it boils down to. We need to know who we are in Christ so that we may then live that life. And so what we need to avoid here are two dangers that come up. The danger of intellectualism that says... All I need to do is understand the propositions and the doctrines. That says that what Christianity is, is a bunch of things to be learned. Yes, but more than that. And there is an opposite danger that says, No, Christianity isn't a doctrine, it isn't a teaching, it's just a life. It's just a thing to be lived. Well, yes, but not quite also... Biblical faith is one that is learned and lived out. And so Paul begins here by saying, if then you have been changed, if then you have been raised with Jesus Christ. He is assuming everything that we have gone over in the first two chapters. Here we might say that then could be translated therefore. And what's the therefore? Therefore? So we can look back. Paul is pointing to all that he has said. And the if here is not the way that we think in terms of probabilities. It is more a since or assuming the fact that you have been raised in Christ. Assuming that Jesus Christ has changed you, you are changed. And that should bring about a gratitude for what he has done. It should bring about a knowledge that you now are able to live in Christ because of what he has done. And this is now what you are to do and to act. And the first thing that Paul commands us, and it is not a suggestion, is he says, seek the things that are above. It is a present exhortation, which means two things. Do it now, and do it all the time. Don't wait for some point in the future. Don't dwell on the past. Seek right now, every day, every hour, the things that are above. It is a way to think about our desires. Now you see, when I use the word desire, often that has a negative connotation. We think about desires are bad. We desire things we ought not, like too much candy, or other things. But you see, desires are good if the object of the desire is something that is good. And that's what Paul is pointing to here. He's saying that you should strive and aim for the things that are above. You should have hearts that seek the heavenly and not just the earthly. Because above is where Jesus Christ has come from. Above is where we are now, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, that our citizenship is in heaven. And he reminds us that above is where Jesus Christ lives and reigns, where He is seated at the right hand of God. He is enthroned, and that speaks both of His power and His presence. In Mark chapter 14, Jesus says, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of Of power. And in Mark chapter 10, he says, I cannot grant to you to sit at my right hand to the two disciples. Even though you desire to be in my presence. You see, the place where Jesus is, is a place of power and of love and of presence. And so when we think about setting our hearts on things above, our focus should be on Jesus Christ and on his rule in the world right now. That is where our hearts need to dwell. But it is not just our hearts that need to be focused on the things of God. It is also our minds. Look with me at verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. We are to be occupied on the things of God. We are to think about God. What do you value? Have you ever asked yourself this question? When you have a time in your prayer closet or perhaps in a meeting with friends to pray and to be thankful for what the Lord has done, what are you thankful for? What comes first to your mind? That you live in a free nation? That you're healthy? That you have food to eat? All of these things are good. But our minds ought not to begin with the here and the now and the temporal and the ephemeral. We ought to be thankful for the work of the Spirit in our lives. We ought to be thankful for opportunities to share the gospel. We ought to be thankful for spiritual blessings that God has given to us. Oh, that we would pray as often and be thankful for the promises of God as we are for our health and our food. Oh, that if we prayed as often as we do around a meal to thank the Lord for the food and the hands that have prepared it, to thank Him for saving us from hell and for giving us voices to speak with gospel clarity to those around us. You see, that's what Paul is saying. We are to be thinking upon heavenly matters. Now, this is to show the difference between the Christian life And the life of the unbeliever. We live in two domains at once. In a fallen world and in a redeemed world. And we are to be different and show others that we are different. To show that this world is passing away. We are to call others to the heavenlies. To contrast Now, this doesn't mean that we ought to have no concern that we ought to not buy food or not eat well or not pay our bills. No, that's not what I'm saying. But Paul says we need to begin with the heavenlies and with the spiritual. And we can tell that this immediately contrasts with much of what passes today to be Christianity. Where preachers are obsessed with teaching you how you can have more money, have more health, Be blessed more. How you can show others all of the blessing in your life. How you can have better clothes, bigger cars, more stuff. You see, that's not what Paul's concerned about. Paul says that Jesus Christ is focused upon forming His image in you. Not in giving you a better car. Set your mind on the things that are above Well, why then, thirdly and finally, are we to have this kind of focus with hearts and minds that are focused on the heavenly? On one level we can say, well, because Paul says so. And that is good enough. But the Lord and Paul are so kind to give us reasons to help us to understand why this is a blessing to us, to have our minds set on the Lord. We see this in Verse 3, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. And so, the focus that we have here is because we are alive in Christ. It is Christ who gives us life. And therefore, we ought to be focused upon where our life is found. And Paul uses this very interesting phrase. He says... Your life is hidden with Christ. Now, what does this mean? I think it means two things very practically for us. First, it means that it is obscured, hidden, as to who we really are. Do you ever get frustrated when people do not appreciate you? When people do not think that you know what you know? When people don't want to listen to your advice. When people don't want to listen to what you have to say about the universe and the world and the Lord. Well, Paul says that's natural. Because you don't appear now as you will be. People will take you for granted. People will think they know better than you. People will not listen because you are not now what the Lord is fashioning you into. You are not in glory. And so, who you are in Jesus Christ is hidden, it is obscured, even as right now, the power and majesty of Jesus Christ are veiled in the world. But it will not always be so. He will return, and every knee will bow, and every tongue confess, and we will be changed and be seen for who we are. But there's a second aspect to being hidden in Christ, and that is that... We are safe. You know this experience, right? You probably even experienced this as a child. When you had a favorite stuffed animal or a toy or something and you wanted to keep it safe, you'd find a really good hiding spot for it. Right? And there's always a danger. The danger is that you find so good a hiding spot that you don't remember where it is. But you see, you want it to be safe. And that's what Paul is saying here, that you, no matter what happens in the world, no matter all of the tumult in your life, you are safe in Jesus. No one can get you. Remember the line from that famous hymn. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. No one can snatch you out of the Father's hands in Christ Jesus. Whether the ravages of cancer come to you, or heart attack or stroke, or poverty or want, no matter what happens to you, you are safe in Jesus, ultimately. And when we know that kind of safety, when we know that kind of blessing, it should draw our thoughts to the Lord, to spiritual things. And lastly, we see here that there is a great call for us to look toward a future in verse 4. That when Jesus Christ appears, when He is no longer obscured, we will no longer be obscured and we will appear with Him in glory. Are you really going to think in glory about how many oil changes you had with your car? Are you really going to worry in glory whether you planted the grass in the right month or not? Are you really going to wonder whether you got the best deal on that new computer or not? You see, these are the things that tie up our everyday. But Paul says we need to be focused on the eternal because that puts in perspective everything that we do and everything that we see. And it drives us to the Lord and we know our true selves, Paul says. You see, because our true selves are not sitting here now. Our true selves will be revealed in glory when not only will we have perfect and healthy bodies, we will be sinless and in the presence of the Son of God. Do you long for that? If you do, then set your hearts upon things above. Set your minds upon things above. Seek first the kingdom of God, that all these things will be added unto you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this word of encouragement from Paul, that we are to live in light of the eternal. Lord, please encourage us along the way. Point us to Your Word and empower us by Your Spirit. This we ask. This we ask, O Lord, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And now if you please stand for the Lord's blessing. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen.